Now, I'm going to read from John chapter 16 here in, in a moment, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to it. I'll be reading from one of the newer versions of the uh, New International Version of Scripture. I, I was reminded in preparation for this message about a guy who was hired to uh, paint lines on the highway by the transportation department, paint them by hand. And so the first day on the job, he painted five miles of lines on the highway. The second day, however, he only painted two, uh, two miles of lines on the highway. And on the third day, shockingly, he only painted 548 feet of lines on the highway. And then on the fourth day, unbelievable, he painted only 178 feet of lines on the highway. Now, just like any of you who are in charge of things, his boss called him in, called the painter in, and he said, hey, man, are you sick or what's up? What, what's, what's up? And he said, no, I feel fine. I'm I'm fine. And then the, the, the leader, the overseer said, I'm demanding, tell me what's going on. You're painting the lines have diminished so, so much that I'm just shocked. What has happened? And this is what the painter said to him. He said, no, it just every day, I just a little further away from the bucket, and it takes me a little longer. <laughs> now, I have, I have met people, and perhaps you have too, who once were vibrant, victorious, loving, excited, exuberant followers of Jesus. When you are around them, you're inspired. But over time, they just seem to lose slowly that vibrancy and that life and that attractiveness, and they become lethargic. And they become uh, maybe uh, somewhat lazy in their faith. And soon, they're a long ways away from what they once knew. Now, have you ever met any person like that? Now, don't look at them right now, but I mean, have you ever met someone that kind of fits? Have you ever felt that way? If I was honest with you, I would say, yes, that has happened to all of us. But I've got great, great news because... In John chapter 16, it's part of what is often referred to as the upper room discourse, although all that was shared wasn't necessarily in the upper room, but that's where it began. We remember that where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and, and he said, if you really love me, you'll obey my commandments, and he said, love one another. And he, but one of the things, one of the most strategic things that Jesus says in this passage applies to every one of us in this room. No matter your age, your background, your legacy, whether this is you're a first generation to start ever attending a church in your family, or you can look back over history and see many generations, uh, whether, whether you're single or married, whether you just graduated from high school or wished you were still in high school, it doesn't matter. What Jesus promises in this passage affects every one of us in this room. So let's look at John 16. I begin with verse 5. It says in verse 5, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, 
Where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. Verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is good, or it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, or as some versions say, the comforter or counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world is prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's a very interesting statement there. Then he goes on to amplify that by saying in verse 9, about sin, because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Then verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Verse 13, the verse of the day. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus saying the spirit will glorify him, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now here's a promise. Here's in this, what we just read, I know there's lots of words, but here is the promise, here is the promise to every one of us here that reminds us how important it is to stay close to the bucket. Here's the promise, here's the promise that reminds us of the source of our vitality, the source of our victory, the source of I can get through this, the source of climbing the mountains and going through the valleys. Here is the promise. Look at it again. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Here's the, here's the experience of the spirit-filled life that he's talking about here. Um, I was serving in a great church in California. Joy and I were working in this wonderful church, and I was the pastor on call this particular day. The pastor on call is the one that was assigned to receive all the walk-ins, emergency phone calls, hospital visitations of the day. And generally, you plan for that, but like me, I was planning that nobody was going to interrupt me. And so I had my things to do, and sure enough, the receptionist called and said, Pastor Bill, there's someone in the in the, the foyer that needs your assistance and needs to talk to a pastor. Are you available? And reluctantly, everybody say reluctantly. <laughs> reluctantly. Isn't that terrible to confess? Reluctantly, I said, okay, I'll be right out there. Like, I was really excited about it. But then, you know, you stop to think about it. What's a pastor supposed to do when he's pastor on call? He's supposed to be excited about everybody. So I went out there, and there was this big guy. I mean, he was, he was big, I never met him before. He, he indicated that he'd come to the church, but I guess I just didn't see him. But I should have been able to recognize him. And uh, he came into my office, discovered that J.D. was an NFL football player, a pro NFL football, been to the Pro Bowl. He, the guy was decorated with all kinds of awards from his early childhood through high school and college and into the pros. And he was, he was renowned for his ability. But... <clears throat> Early on in his career, he had a, 
an injury to his knee and it took him out for the season. And then he was able to rehabilitate and they traded him to another team and he started playing again, went to the Pro Bowl and he got hit again. And this time it took him out of his career totally. It was, a, it was, a, it was an injury that would cl- conclude his career in pro football. And as he shared his story with me, he began to weep. Now, I just got to ask you, what do you do when an NFL football player is sitting in front of you crying? Do you like get up and go over and hug him? Do you pat him on the back and say it's going to work out? You know, you're kind of awkward. You don't know, you know, what exactly, how to respond. But I, I didn't really know how to respond. He talked about early on in the conversation how he used to be close to the bucket. But somehow in the course of his life and the, 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 the celebrity spirit, he'd moved far away. And now he's a broken man. His wife's ready to leave him. His, his finances are a mess. He's on the verge of bankruptcy. He's lost the millions that he got from playing football. And nobody cares about him anymore. And nobody wants to talk to him anymore. And, and I'll tell you, what do you do? What do you do? Now, Jesus announces a promise here in this passage of Scripture, a helpful promise. Jesus explains to the disciples in the upper room or in this discourse that he's about to leave them. Jesus describes the fact that he is going to be, he's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, he's going to resurrect, and now he tells them he's going to leave them. Look at verse 6. Because I have said these things, you are filled with what? Grief, he says. But Jesus makes another staggering statement to them as they're trying to comprehend. These these are the men whose lives were just routine. They went through the norm. Most of them grew up doing the same thing day after day. And they leave it all to follow Jesus for three years. And as they're following him, they love being face-to-face with him. They love being close to him. They observe the miracles. In fact, the Gospel of John towards the end tells us that there are so many miracles that Jesus performed in those three years that all the books of the world could not contain them all. But these that have been recorded are helping us understand who Jesus Christ really is. These men saw all of this. And now Jesus makes this statement in verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good, for your good, everybody say that with me, for your good, that I am going away, unless I go away, this is really key, unless I go away, we're talking about the promise now, the advocate or the counselor or the comforter will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now put yourself in the, the place of the disciples. They are, this shift, this transition Jesus is talking about is devastating to them. I mean, they've been faced, what are we going to do now? And then he makes this statement, it's going to be good for you. Do you remember when your parents used to punish you or discipline you? You know, we had a belt in our, in our house that said, I need thee every hour. You know, I, I, I don't know what it was like for you, but when your parents are going to punish you, they would say something like this, now, Belly, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Have you ever, anybody ever heard that? Well, you were blessed not to hear it. Well, I heard it on a number of occasions But they didn't really mean it. And did I believe it? Are you kidding me? I didn't believe that. It wasn't going to hurt them more than it was going to hurt me. And when Jesus makes this statement, he's not just flippantly making some comment about the future. He's serious. He's right. 
Now think about this for a moment. When you ask people, when would you like to have lived in human history? People come up with all kinds of answers. And a lot of Christians say, oh, I would have loved to live during Jesus' time. To walk with him and watch him open blind eyes and heal the lame and feed the thousands. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to be there in the upper room when he washed the feet of the disciples? And Jesus says here, no. The best time to live is right now. Because, he said, I'm going away, and as a result of that, uh, the Spirit of God is not limited to this body. It's going to be available to everyone. And the time that we live in right now, listen to this. The time we live in right now is more exciting, if we think about this, because of the promise that Jesus makes here than if we had lived in Jesus' time walking with him in the land of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, hey, wait a minute. Jesus doesn't know where I live. Jesus doesn't know where I have to go to work every day. Oh, yes, he does. And he says, with my spirit, the promise that I'm making here with my spirit will make your life much more dynamic as long as you stay close to the bucket. As long as you stay close to the bucket. Now, so Jesus makes this wonderful promise. He said it's better what is that promise? It's the Holy Spirit. This is Pentecost Sunday, by the way. The celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the birth of the church. We're celebrating a birthday today, the birth of the church. Turn to the person next to you and say, happy birthday. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, happy birthday. Because we are celebrating the birthday of the church. Now the word here in the scriptures where it's advocate or, or comforter or counselor is paraclete which actually means one called alongside another to provide assistance, to provide comfort, strength, help, insight, support. It's similar to an English word that we use frequently and we hear it so often now, which we call paramedics, those first responders, like the ones in Seattle this week in that tragic shooting at, at the university. Those people came on the scene. What was their purpose? They came on the scene to provide medical assistance. Now listen, Jesus promises in this chapter that every one of us, every one of us in this room, have the opportunity to have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us to assist us, support us, strengthen us. And I don't know about you, but in my life, man... It seems like almost every day, if not every hour, I need some extra that I don't have. And the reason that Jesus did this is he knew the disciples. He knew their potential. He knew what they could accomplish. He knew all about them. And he knew that they needed more than they had in themselves. He knew in order for them to accomplish the, the calling on their life and the task that was before them, they would need not just his physical presence, but the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he makes this promise to them. I will give him to you. And when you think about your life and my life, the Lord sees the potential in your life. He sees how he's designed you and the gifts and talents that he's afforded you. He sees whether you're teaching school or counseling people or running a business or working for a high-tech company 
or, or you're, you're in a position of perhaps uh, retirement where you have more free time to help and serve in other ways. He sees, he sees Horizon and Tualatin and sees the impact it's making in the, it could make in this community and in the world. And he recognizes that you can't do it by yourself, but you'll only reach your potential no matter how gifted you are, how smart you are, how many degrees behind your name you have. It doesn't matter. He realizes that with the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll never achieve... You'll never achieve what he designed you to achieve without his spirit living in and through your life. And he makes this promise. In other words, he sees beyond what you presently are. So when Joy and I were first dating, we we met in college. Uh, We were going to a, a Christian Bible college in California. And if I was to ask you, what's the worst job you ever had? You know, some of you might say, well, the job I got right now is not too good. But when I think of that question, there's two or three that come to my mind. One of them was I, I was the garbage man at our college. I mean, I picked up all the trash and the garbage from the cafeteria and all the dorms, put it in a truck, and it wasn't a high-tech truck. It was just an old flatbed with sides on it, and I drove it to the dump every day, and I got out, physically moved it out. It was, I mean, can you imagine uh, what I looked like at the end of that? Can, can you imagine what I smelled like at the end of that job, that four-hour shift every day. I mean, I was not very pleasant to look at, and I certainly wasn't pleasant to be around. Not that I didn't have a nice smile and a personality that you might like, but I just physically was repulsive. And Joy and I were dating in those days, and Joy is a studious, hardworking, got it together, know where God's called me kind of person, and I'm social, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, what I'm going to do with my life. But we were dating, and I was trying to win her heart. And I remember I parked the truck after a four-hour shift. And honestly, you have to believe me. I, I don't look so good this morning, but you ought to see me after a garbage d- delivery. I mean, does, it looks bad. And I, I walked up from where I parked my truck on campus, and who was driving down? Beautiful Joy Price. She came towards me, and she was gracious enough to stop. She acknowledged my presence. She rolled down the window. She was dressed to the T. She was off to hear an outstanding evangelist preach. She had her makeup on. She had the perfume. Her hair was done perfectly. She was sitting behind this beautiful car, and she's looking out the window to the guy who's trying to pursue her. He looks like he just came from the dump. He looks like he lives in the dump. He looks bad, and worst of all, he smells bad. Joy's a proper young lady who came from Great Britain, so everything has got to be proper. I came from the Valley of California where we didn't know what proper meant. And so, you know, here I'm standing there, and I still remember what I said to her. You ready? You want to know what I said? Joy, don't look at me for what you see right now. Look at what I can become. That's what I said. She smiled, rolled up the window, and drove off. (laughs) I guess it worked. I guess it worked. But this is what God says to you. As he looks you over, you look in the mirror, you look at all of your faults and failures and your weaknesses and your and your missteps in life, and your sins, and the things you've done. And he looks at you, young man. He looks at you, young woman, and he says, I see what you are now, but look what you could become 
with the promise. The promise. This is the only time that Jesus talks about this because he talks about the arrival of the promise. As we fast forward in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When the Holy Spirit comes, the first associated word is what? Power. And we'll talk about Pentecost and power in other settings. Does, Jesus doesn't say you're going to receive more uh, information or instruction. He said you're going to receive that which you need as long as you allow yourself to stay close to the source of your spiritual life and not move far away. He goes on to talk about it and the, the promise of, of this is found in Acts chapter 2. This is the first Pentecost that we celebrate the birth of the church. Suddenly in verse 2, a sound like a blow, blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where, where they were sitting. So these disciples and others, believers, devout believers, got together and for days they prayed and they talked and they sought God. And then a rushing wind like a, a tornado comes in to the room and fills the room. And the scripture tells us they began to speak in languages that they had not learned. They spoke in other tongues. And this was Pentecost celebration. And I'll explain at another time what that means. But the Pentecost, people from all over were coming in to celebrate Pentecost. And as they were there... They heard the sounds in their own language from these unlearned people, and they were praising God. It'd be like if I picked you up and dropped you in the heart of Brazil, in the Amazon jungle, and you didn't know any Portuguese or any natural tribal language, and you began to speak as God inspired you to speak in the language of the people, and they heard you, and you were saying, praise God. God is so good. He loves you. Come to him honor his power, that's exactly what happened. And the promise arrives in Jerusalem. So here, the disciples begin to experience something they never dreamed possible. The same spirit that was in Jesus when he was on the earth is now available to them. It's like giving the keys to a 10-year-old to a brand-new 500-horse Corvette. It's like, wait a minute, this is more than they can handle. But as a result of this, Peter gets up and preaches and thousands come to Jesus. The creation of the church or the, the faith community comes together. They begin to see people's lives change dramatically. They see jailers come to know the Lord. and They see people healed from various sicknesses. The disciples are walking down the street and their shadow touches sick people and they become well. They began to experience words of comfort and strength in times of great persecution and even the face of death itself. This is the promise arriving. The awareness of the promise for us today. What difference does it make? Look at verse 13 again. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in to all truth. So one day a businessman comes to me and he says, Pastor, the Lord has moved upon my heart to give a million dollars to the church building program. Everybody say a million. A million. That's more than you made last week. So a million dollars to the church. After I picked myself up off the floor and scooted back into my seat, I said, could you repeat that one more time? And he said, the Lord has moved upon me to give a million dollars to the church building program. 
Now, I had to awaken to the truth of that. I had to respond to what had been given and said. This man was going to do something. I had to talk about it. I had to share it. I had to declare it. I had to prepare for it. I had to plan for this gift. And when I did so, many people felt God move upon their heart to do similar things. And as a result, another million plus dollars came as a result of the Spirit of God moving and we responding to the awakening of this one promise. And here's the deal. For more than 2,000 years, the church has had this promise. And now it's our turn. I could speak to you for numbers of hours of historic events and leaders and names, some known and some not known, from all denominations, even from Catholic to, to Baptist, whatever, who have all come to this conclusion that we've got to live here today rather than live over here. That we have somehow slid subtly from being close to the source and we wonder why we have lost our impact. And they are all saying the same thing. Be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us. Oh, I, have, I, have, I like you. I have found myself with my wonderful heritage and my background and family have been in this Pentecostal experience for many years. I found myself over here. I've realized on occasion that I've been diverted and distracted. I have, I have made missteps and realized that I was trying to, to accomplish the task in my own skills and abilities, but the job was much greater than me. I needed to come close by. So as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in this promise and awakening to the promise, let me suggest that over the coming days that we set for ourselves three goals. Goal number one is we're going to respect, we're going to respect the Spirit's mystery. We're going, to, we're going to understand that the Spirit of God moves in mysterious ways. Jesus says it's like the wind. It's hard to always understand how it moves and where it comes from. There are things about the Holy Spirit's movement that I have seen in my many years of ministry that I just cannot explain, and sometimes I'm not even aware, but the Spirit is moving. It's happening even in this service this morning. God's talking to you about something I have no idea about. I have no revelation. God didn't wake me up with your face and the information. But you know that the Spirit of God is stirring you because you've been over there, and He's trying to pull you back here. He's moving. And men, women, young people, children, people of all walks of life I have seen who have found themselves hearing the Spirit call and they've made themselves back to that source. The Spirit moves mysteriously and we don't always understand it. It's in such a way that sometimes even those who are speaking, and Pastor Stan has said this on a few occasions, I've said something and someone else comes up and says, I appreciate you saying that, Pastor Stan, and he doesn't even remember saying it. In fact, he looks at his notes and it's not even there. What was that? The mysterious work of the Holy Spirit that speaks to people in various places and ways that we maybe never even expected. And oh, may I suggest that we respond to the Spirit's moving. Not only respect the mysterious aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit that we don't quite understand, but we respond. Some think that that stopped some 1960 years ago when the, the last disciple died. The truth is that it continues to carry on and we're part of this great movement today. 
There are churches that are alive like Horizon that are doing great things because the Spirit of God is moving and people are responding to that move. I remember when I was 35 years old, Donnie Moore, who's a friend of Horizon and comes usually every year, is a wonderful communicator and a dear friend of mine now. I'd never met him. And uh, my, my senior pastor asked if I would take charge of the service. He was going to be gone. And this is what he said before he left. He said, and just keep Donnie under control. Now, what, what does that mean, keep him under control? Pastor Roger, you know how big Donnie is. The guy's big. I've never met him, and the other associates are all giving me these stories that I should be nervous because he wears cowboy boots, and he jumps up on the front row, and he, he's bigger than life, and he, he'll break bats over his legs and, you know, tear phone books up, and he might even tear you up if you're not careful. You know, he's, they all this stuff. So I meet him before the service, shake his hand. I said, Donnie, I'm in charge of the service. We're glad you're here. You've got this much time to speak. God bless you. May God use you. Let's pray. Then I'm sitting on the, in those days, we had to sit on the platform, watch all the people, and they watched us to make sure we were responding to the speaker and watching every move. And, and he's up there preaching away. And he did something, that I, honestly, he, he jumped up on the front row and made me nervous and all that stuff. But he did something at the end that I, I hadn't seen happen very often. He, he closed his Bible and he just bowed his head. He didn't, he didn't have a prayer. He didn't invite people to come forward. He just closed his eyes. And I watched. I thought, what, what's he going to do next? And people started getting up spontaneously and just coming to the front. And while these people are just moving to the front without invitation, without appeal... He comes over to me and he leans over into my ear. Now, I just met him two hours before. And he leans over my ear and he says something. He says, Bill, get ready. Be open. God's going to open up something new in your life. And don't be afraid of it. And walked away. And the Spirit of God planted that seed in my heart. And 15 days later, had I no idea, 15 days later, Joy and I were asked to come and start a ministry here in Portland where we served for 20 years and have lived here ever since. I didn't know. Donnie didn't know. He responded to the move of the Spirit. He spoke a word to me. I received it. And God opened a door that I wasn't expecting to be opened. So I encourage you to respond to the Spirit's moving. I'm not asking people to swing from chandeliers and run around like mad dogs. That's not the moving of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about being close to the source, the promise. And finally, let me just suggest this in closing. Request the Spirit's manifestation in your life. Pray that the Holy Spirit will help you from this point on. Pray that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you're anything like me, we tend to leak. And we need to be filled again. We need to move back over here. Because the cares of this world start dragging me away. The missteps dragged me away. So when J.D. Hill came into my office, I had no idea who he was. I prayed a prayer with him. I encouraged him. Frankly, I gave up on him. I met with him a couple times, and I thought, man, this guy's got troubles. I can't figure it out. I don't got a million dollars to give him. All I got to do is pray. A few weeks ago, I was asked to speak at a men's conference there were a number of speakers. I didn't even look the list over. I just showed up when I was supposed to be there and prepared my heart for what I was supposed to say. And I sat down next to this man sitting next to me. And I looked at the program and it said, J.D. Hill. J.D. Hill. How do I know that name? 
I looked over at him. It was an older version of the guy that had come into my office 28 years ago. I didn't even know what had happened to him. J.D. Hill moved closer to the bucket. And the Spirit of God began to change his life and rebuild the brokenness in his marriage, in his family, and anointed him for a ministry to men across America and around the world. And there's J.D. I shook his hand. I said, J.D., Bill Wilson. He looked at me. Now, when J.D. met me, I had a mustache and an afro. So he's looking at me like, who are you? I said, Bill Wilson. Remember when we met, I prayed for you 28 years ago. Sometimes we underestimate what the Spirit of God can do in and through our lives. That a simple prayer, an encouragement, even when it's not met with receptivity, even when we feel like we're, it's bigger than us, how could we ever see anything done? But when a person, I don't care who it is, anybody in this room, decides, I'm moving back over here. I'm going to accept the promise that Jesus gave to the disciples, and I'm going to claim it for myself, the Spirit of God, that he can take a J.D. Hill, he can take a Bill Wilson, he can take a person like you or like you or like you over here, and he can turn your life around and take you somewhere you never dreamed you would go. So the verse of Scripture today is simple this, simply this, but when he... The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth.